Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco and drink. I'm Steve Ryder, and this freaking COVID thing is driving me nuts. I can't get in-person interviews, and I got to resort to Zoom because I got nothing left in the can. I missed an episode last week, and now... Anyway, Kay texted me this morning, and he was like, Steve, get the guys from Providencia on. Let's talk about Providencia cigars, Holy Smokers kind of started it and running it and I'm a big fan. I've gotten some Providencia sticks from Raymond and uh, Reed has handed me some when he when he's been here in town and I am a fan. I love their sticks and uh, I'm glad to have guys in the Holy Smokes community that are producing boutique cigars. And so I got Jim on the Holy Smokes podcast, Jim Faber from Providencia Cigars. Thanks for being on, my man. Thank you for the invite. Well, we were going to have Raymond on as well, but he was having some Zoom problems. And so we're just going to kind of go with it with just you. I told you before we started recording, my goal is to get down to Dallas this year because there is at least seven, but somewhere between seven and 12 interviews within that whole area of various dudes and so I've got three or four guys that have told me Steve if you come down you can stay with me and so hey cool if all I got to do is get get an airfare and pay for food and I'm being shuttled around and maybe an uber once in a while to get some various stuff I'm there and so we will get your full story and Raymond's full story and a bunch of other dudes that are down there but uh, absolutely Ray and Lori uh, have a beautiful backyard with uh, just a gorgeous pool and hot tub and just it's just picturesque it's really nice so uh, we could set up back there and and uh, go for it you are getting me anxious to get the heck out of dodge and get back to hanging out with people because this thing is like i'd say just in the last week i'd say just in the last week i have really gone stir crazy like it's like I think it's probably because the weather here in Colorado has suddenly shifted and we've got 70 degree days and it's sunny and beautiful. And I'm like, I need to get out hiking. I need to get just out and see people. And I think that's probably it. So, Jim, you have got a crazy story. So because we're going to go more in depth into the entire thing when I'm down there in the Dallas area, kind of abbreviate it a little bit and then talk about how you guys and why you guys created Providencia Cigars. Yeah, sure. So um, I'll do my best to keep it short and uh, we can go over some details later. But I gave my life to Christ when I was a junior and I was going to a state school right outside of Philadelphia. I was a junior in college and really had a radical transformation and life shift and um, ended up going to Liberty University for my final year and um, really is what sparked a passion in my heart to give back and serve. And I knew I wanted to be in ministry somehow. I just didn't know what to do, where to start, how to start. And so while I was praying and pondering over what to do, a friend who was mentoring me, uh, his name was Don Weber, and um, he invited me. He had several trips for over 20, 30 years down to Honduras uh, and uh, did a lot of pastoral training and leadership training down there. And he invited me to go with him to occupy the children. 
And he said, there's so many kids down there and it would be awesome if you could take your soccer expertise and do some camps for the kids and, and uh, share the gospel with them through soccer and soccer's worship in that country. And so I thought it was an awesome idea. I got my passport and two weeks before we were supposed to leave, uh, Don called me. He was out in California ministering to some churches out there and uh, called and said that the Lord was not going to let him go with me. I said, what are you talking about? God's not going to let you go with me. He said, I think it's time yeah. for you to get out of the roost on your, on your own and fly on your own. I think you're ready. You need to get out there and, and experience it and, and go by yourself. So he gave me some contacts of some missionaries that were in Honduras and I called them on the phone and and they said, wow, we've been praying for somebody to come and, and help spark our youth ministry. We do a lot of medical outreach, but we really don't have a whole lot for children. And so I came down and started doing soccer camps all over the country, and they were a huge hit. And um, one thing led to another. Yeah. I was supposed to be there for two weeks. I ended up uh, spending the entire summer there. And at the end of the summer, I decided that that's what I felt like God was telling me to do. So um, I came back to the United States, sold what little I had. I didn't have much. I was just, just graduated college and um, worked for another six months and saved all my money. And, and I kind of calculated what I need to live off of for a year. And I went down there, yeah. just went down there and started doing stuff for God. I was going to give it a year and learn the language and while I was down, when I was down there, while I was down there the first time, the local pro soccer team, which was a division two pro team at the time, invited me, uh, saw that I was doing all these camps and invited me to play in, in this uh, pickup game with them. And uh, then the coach approached me after the game and asked if I would try out for the, yeah. the pro team, which I thought was like the coolest thing in the world. And uh, yeah, I signed a pro contract and, um, ended up playing with them for a little bit, but it, it the whole purpose yeah. for me was just to use soccer as a vehicle to share Christ with people. And, um, you know, that's, uh, years later I met Reed Grafke and fast forward. Now he's, uh, on staff at gateway church, which I'm sure all you guys are familiar with gateway. And so he came down, brought a team down and, um, fell in love with the country and fell in love with what we were doing. Anyway, uh, long story short, I, I met a third generation tobacco mm -hmm. grower several years later. I was in the city of Dan Lee. And um, he at the time, Javier at the time, was the general manager of Alec Bradley, uh, the plant that Alec Bradley's cigars are made out of. It's owned by Ra Raices Cubanos. They're, uh, it's a Cuban, yeah. Cuban ownership, but Javier was the general manager of the plant. And um, he kind of gave me a 101 tour. <laughs> I smoked my first cigar, got sick. <laughs> but uh, I, I absolutely loved, fell in love with the process. Um, on my next trip back to that city, he took me out to his land and showed me where it was grown, showed me how they um, aged it and procured it. And several visits after that, he encouraged me, said, why don't you make your own blend? Why don't you start, why don't you start your own business? And I laughed at him and I, you know, I said, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm never going to use this as a business. He said, why not? He said, you're really good at it. You have a knack for it. Did he explain what he saw in you? 
Yeah, because he, yeah, he, we sat in his office and every time I'd go to visit, Dan Lee was four hours from where I yeah. live. So whenever I went to the city, he'd have anywhere from six to 10 new blends that he was working on. And so we would sit there in the office and smoke six to 10 cigars a day. And then he would ask me questions. He'd ask me what, you know, what flavor profiles, you know, the, the things that I was picking up in the cigar, the differences between the cigars. And then he started to share with me the differences in flavors between the wrappers and the binders and how the fillers change things. And so as he would quiz me, I would typically always pick out his and the other shop manager's favorite too. Yeah. And um, he would stick a bunch of bad cigars in there and a few good ones to see if I could pick them out. And I, But he would never tell me which ones were good and which ones were bad. Anyway, that's how he, he found out I had a knack for picking out the profiles and, and the different distinctions in the notes of the of the tobacco so he tells you you've got a knack for this you should create a business i don't know i don't know what shifted well i thought you know what why not let's do it and um so my my goal was to come up with a cigar that i would like to smoke every day like if i that was the only cigar left on the planet that would be a great go-to cigar i'd love to smoke it every day in fact that's what i'm smoking right now which was the cigar that we started the company on. It's the, uh, called the, the El Santo, Santo, the Saint. And so, you know, it took about 30 different blends. And Reed Grafke was very instrumental in, in helping with that. So I would send a lot of the different blends that I liked uh, back up to Reed. And that's when he was living in Colorado and got a lot of feedback from him and a lot of his friends. And um, it was... I want to say in 2013, I went to the factory and he had a couple different cigars and I, I knew as soon as I looked at it that the wrapper was different than anything else that I, that I had tried before. And so I smoked it and I said, this is it. This is it. I said, what's the wrapper? He said, this is a Sumatra wrapper. And I, prior to that, I had never smoked a Sumatra wrapper, and I fell in love. I love the flavor. Yeah. I love the profile. Uh, we tweaked it a bit. We added a little bit more strength. We added a, a couple Lijero leaves inside the, the cigar to make it a little bit stronger. And I wanted kind of a medium, uh, full-bodied flavor, but I didn't want it too overpowering. And um, we hit on it, and I had a bunch of people check it out in the States, and everybody loved it. And... Um, so it just sat on the shelves. It was like, all right, we've got a blend. <laughs> but I had no idea. I was still living in Honduras and had no real, real no idea how to start the business. So Reed and I just little by little just started getting paperwork together, started filing for paperwork in the States, which I'm sure you guys understand it's years and years of process sometimes to get approved and get your license. And so that's, we started to do that. So when did you guys start this journey? What what year was that when you guys came up with the El Santo blend? I knew that in 2013, we had the El Santo blend um, ready. Uh, what we didn't have was the name. We didn't have marketing. We didn't have box designs. We didn't have permission to bring cigars into the United States. We didn't have all, all the different permits that you need to uh, begin to sell in the United States. And so that's what we worked on from there. In 2000, I'm sorry, I said 2013. 
I'm totally off. I am fried. Sorry, guys. That was 2000 and let's say 2007, 2007, 2008 timeframe is when we came up with the El Santo. And then because I was already out of the country at 2013, I was already back here in the United States. May of 2011 is when I was thrown in a vehicle at gunpoint and um, ended up escaping a kidnapping attempt on my life. And the the only U.S. military presence uh, that we have in Central America was actually in the same city that I lived in. And so I immediately called a, a private investigator who was a military expert um, and helped obviously help Americans uh, if they had any issues with kidnapping. And within 24 hours, uh, less than 24 hours, he had a report. He knew who was involved. It was a Mexican drug cartel that hired a local bilingual Honduran thug to kidnap me at gunpoint. And they felt like I was a low risk. Um, they called me a soft target. And so that's why they only sent one person. Uh, he said, otherwise, if they felt like you were, you were going to be somebody hard to get, you would have had two guys with machine guns pointed at the back of your head and one guy in the front driving the car. But they only ended up sending one guy and, um, I was able to get some, eventually get some help. The story takes a while to tell. We'll definitely, when Um, when I'm down there, we will definitely go into a lot of those details and. Sure. So um, anyway, the the agent uh, that investigated said they've got all your phones tapped. They have your your daughter who you're trying to adopt. There's Raymond. Raymond just joined us. So they've got. So let's continue. So phone tapped. Yeah. So they had my my oldest daughter who was 14 at the time. I found her in a trash dump and um, rescued her. I brought her in. Um, She started to live with us when she was nine, right before she was 10 years old. And um, she started in kindergarten. So we fostered her. And at the age of 14, we decided that we were going to adopt her. And um, so we were right in the, we had just, just started the adoption process when the kidnapping attempt happened. And so Anyway, they had Lily's phone tapped and my phone wow. tapped. Don't ask me why they had Lily's phone tapped, but they had yeah. they had both of our <laughs> our phones. I guess so they they knew the movement of my children, and then they knew my movements. Yes. And so the investigator said, "You've got to leave the country right now." So my father flew down the next day and took my two natural born children. Yeah. He flew them back to Philadelphia. And they spent all summer with them while my wife and I and Lily uh, hid out at different places in the country where I felt safe. And um, it was three months later, we still couldn't get the uh, adoption expedited. And so I ended up leaving Lily and my wife in Honduras and I flew to the United States and a friend of mine gave me a job in Texas and that's how I ended up in Texas. And so my parents flew down from Philadelphia, uh, reunited with my two children and got them in school and then had to start my life all over again. So the uh, cigar business was definitely put on the shelf for a while. Yeah, understandably. It was the last last thing that I was really thinking about at the time. So you and Reed were really the two that really kind of started this. How did Ray, Ray, you might as well unmute yourself now that you've joined us. 
How did Ray get involved in this? Well, Ray and I knew each other because his church, his church started to support us and started sending mission teams down to Honduras. Uh, I want to say maybe he'll give you the exact date. I'm, I'm maybe saying 2006, I think was the first year that they came down. And um, every time I would come back to speak at their church or to do missions related activities at their church, Ray and I uh, became friends because we were both Eagle fans and we found out we both grew up in the same area, never knew each other until we met here. Now for the non-sports fans that are listening, we probably should explain, you guys are in the Dallas area, which is the Dallas Cowboys, and they're probably, I'd say their biggest arch rival are the Philadelphia Eagles. And so it is like, it is as bitter of a rivalry as exists in the NFL. You got the Packers Bears, you got the Packers Vikings, you got the Chiefs Raiders, Broncos Raiders, and then, you know, of course, that NFC East kind of round table between the Redskins, the Giants, the Cowboys, and the Eagles, which none of them like each other. That's right. So I had to grab hold of my Eagle fan and and I didn't let go. <laughs> But uh, Ray and his wife were really uh, when when I act when I came, they heard about what happened to me in Honduras, and um, you know the whole church really embraced us. They uh, you know bought you know donated beds and and dressers wow. and couch. They, they they because I had to literally I, we lost everything. I couldn't sell anything in Honduras because everybody knew my plight, so nobody wanted to give me any money for anything. And so um, Ray and Lori really surrounded me and my, my kids on the weekend. I worked and then went to school at night to be a teacher. So I had to get my teaching certification. So at night when my kids were sleeping, I'd, I'd be studying. And so on the weekends, I was absolutely fried. So I'd go over Ray, Ray and Lori's house and we'd swim in their pool and they'd just love on us and, you know, let the kids have fun. And um, that's really how Ray and I began to talk about cigars and I, he, Ray didn't even really smoke cigars that much back then. And I told him about, um, the cigars that we were working on and I told him about the business and Ray fell in love with it. So that's really, we really needed uh, Ray as well because Ray's got a extensive marketing and sales background. And so, Ray was really the piece that we needed um, to really launch. My gosh, so I'm so I'll frazzled. Let Ray go from there. Technical difficulties. You have no idea. I came out here early, set up. I had my coffee, my cigar, a little stand for the phone to sit on, and then it all went to crap. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. My coffee's cold now. It's a mess, but I'm glad you talked to Jim. I was trying to tell you, I'm like, he's way more interesting than me. His his story is is the story. <laughs> well, well, to give listeners a little bit of a, a, for those that weren't on this Zoom call, a little bit of the backstory, of what was going on. So a few weeks ago, when everything was blowing up about Zoom bombing, people were basically infiltrating Zoom meetings and showing porn or writing inappropriate things, racial slurs, whatever. Forbes came out with an article that said, lock your account down. This is what you need to do. And for some reason, a few people weren't able to get into, yeah. into this call. They've been able to get into other calls, but not this one in particular. And so I went in and I unchecked the authenticated users in the background right oh at the beginning gosh. of this interview. And Ray still couldn't get on, but now he's here. And I'm, I, I know, feel at peace. Th- Ray, take a deep breath. <laughs> take a deep <laughs> it breath. It's like an and, hour. And, like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. But anyway, I'm glad to be here. All, All right. right. So Ray, let's get back to the story. So Jim gets back to the States. Right. You're pouring into them. You're just loving on them and ministering to them, helping them. And what kind of drew you to be a part of this with Reed and Jim? Originally, it was a business proposition. So I think I'd shared with some of you guys on other calls that my background was in the home video uh, industry, which is basically, you know, after the movie, uh, the theatrical divisions of movie studios, whether they're majors or minors, release their films in their first window, which is normally theatrical, or it could be TV, could be the first window, it's a television show. And then the home entertainment divisions of all the studios, and the, whether big or small, uh, their group of people would take them to retail on DVD. When I started, it was v- the VHS business was, was what was happening. That was in 1988. But basically, for close to 30 years, I sold movies and television shows into the home entertainment market to retail. So Best Buy, Walmart, um, Target, wherever you bought or rented DVDs, I worked for companies that represented, had proprietary rights to those, those programs. So Jim came to the States in 2011. Uh, we started talking about, you know, the cigar business during that time. And, you know, all of us on the physical goods side saw the writing on the wall that the business was going to definitely start shifting to digital transactions versus physical goods transactions, much like the audio business, right? Went from CD to digital. So it just took, it took a few years for that to really happen. But by 2016, I retired from the video industry uh, and that's a whole other story. But knowing, to answer your question more directly, I, I was looking for a plan B. I figured that my video career was going to be ending soon, and it sounded like cigars could be fun. I had no idea whether we could make money at it or not, but decided with my wife that we would give it a shot. We would nurture it until video went away. And then who knows if, if maybe by then something with cigars would be happening financially. So originally yeah. it was a financial business partnership. And originally, all I was really going to do was finance the growing of the tobacco. So I don't know if Jim told you that part of the story where our grower, our producer, cigar producer, has his own factory and owns his own land and he grows coffee and and tobacco. So I was just going to basically finance the growing of the tobacco that we would use in the cigars, the Honduran part, and possibly uh, uh, finance the procurement of other world tobaccos to produce the cigars. So that was really going to be all I was doing in the beginning those first couple of years was paying for the growing of the tobacco and trying to get the company launched. That's how I originally got into it. And then once the, once my video job went away and even a little bit before that, you know, once we had the cigars in the States in June of 2016, I was starting to dabble in sales. I would take cigars with me on on the road in different markets when we were calling on, you know, Target, Minneapolis, I'd look at the cigar shops and pop by and, and drop off some samples. And so I was doing that throughout the year, you know, maybe a half a dozen to a dozen shops at the most, you know, over the course of a few years, just seeing if there was what kind of interest there was out there. So at what point, gentlemen, did the El Padre get released? Because when I first became familiar with you guys, those were the two sticks you had, El Santo and El Padre. Right. So June of 2016 is when we launched in the U.S., right? So we started growing tobacco in 2012, and we put our first production 
order of El Santo and El Padre at the same time. So we didn't know what we were doing as far as how many cigars to produce, what to, what to do. So we just, so we had those two blends and we had two Vitolas in each blend. We had a Toro in both blends and a Robusto Gordo in both blends. And we had Javier roll us 30,000 cigars with no retail, no distribution, nothing. Just, we had a way to get them into the country and some of it stored them for us. And, but we had no, we had our permits. We had a distribution permit and a retail permit, but we had, we had nothing set up as far as, you know, shops waiting for product or anything. So those were the two blends that Jim and Reed developed uh, in the early stages. So that's what we went with. And it wasn't until 2018, January of 2018, that we introduced our third blend, which was the uh, Trinitas. To expound yeah. on that, Steve, the, the reason why we came up with the El Padre was because we thought, well, we can't just come out with one cigar, right? And so it would be kind of cool to have, you know, kind of, you know, one that's a medium to bold type of cigar and another cigar that was more on the mild side. So yeah, uh, Ray, it was actually, I think Ray's suggestion that we come out with something that was more like a Connecticut for the novice smoker or the, the beginner smoker or somebody that just doesn't want something that bold. And so that's when we started to develop and work on uh, some blends for a lighter stick. And um, once we felt comfortable with uh, the blend we called it the father el padre and so that yeah. we coupled that with the saint and that's what we launched with well i believe that the el padre and el santo are dollar for dollar one of the better cigars that i have that i've had i freaking <laughs> I, I enjoy them it's a nice it's a nice little stick that just oh the taste is just beautiful and uh I've bought them a few times from Etienne when Etienne was mm-hmm. kind of yeah. your local reseller mm-hmm. and uh, used that in my humidor. So you released the Trinitas, mm-hmm. which I'm going to be dead honest with you. The first time I had it, I was like, ah, eh, it's okay. The second time I had it, I was like, oh, I don't know what happened, but this is like, ooh, ooh. Yeah, totally ooh. different. <laughs> And it was from that first shipment that Ray sent me probably, I want to say, earlier this year. Yeah. And there was something about it. I was like, whoa. All right. I missed it the first time. Well, I th- Talk I about where that, that one came that from. That cigar really kind of put us on the map, especially because the shop that we really kind of uh, concentrated on locally uh, is called The Underground. And The, uh, the Underground is mm-hmm. world renowned for all of their boutique cigars. And I'd say 95% of what they sell out of there come with dark wrappers and they're bold cigars, medium to bold predominantly. And we really felt like we needed a stick that kind of set the tone for something a little spicier, something a little juicier, something a little meatier. And um, we actually, um, we loved that. I think that year, the year prior, I think it was the year prior, it was 2017, Cigar of the Year was by Oliva, and it was the Oliva Melania, and it was a uh, box press double torpedo, so it was torpedoed on both ends. It was really cool looking, It and uh, Reed and I just loved the look, so did Ray, and we decided, look, well, let's come out with that Vitola, and, and so we had to work on a blend. So that blend is predominantly all uh, Lijera. So that's all your top, you know, predominantly all your top leaves. 
and it uh, took a while yeah. till we got, I flew down there. Ray actually flew down as well. Uh, we flew down there and taste tested a lot of different cigars and ended up coming up with that. And, um, the Trinity just, you know, we, we threw around names and we, we really wanted to bring it full circle, kind of El Padre, El Santo. Let's just, you know, bring the, the Trinity since it was the third cigar. <laughs> and, and I think it was Reed who yeah. we must have texted a, a zillion names back and forth to each other. It was me. It was I'm going to take all the credit. I was smoking because <laughs> no, I want the story to be straight. I'm not a credit hog. So the more you get to know me, you know, but I just to set the record straight. I was smoking that Oliva V Siri and that I love that cigar yeah. and absolutely loved everything about it. So I suggested to Jim and to Reed at the time that we go with that, with that type of a Vitola. And I started Googling names and looking at biblically for how else we could tie, you know, something spiritual into what we already had. So that's the Trinitas came from, my research, and then I pitched it to those two guys, and they were they were both into it, and yeah. that's where we went. Yeah, I think we had Trinity, and then I think Reed texted one night, why don't we go with the Greek word of Trinity, and that was Trinitas, and we all loved it. And it was, it was but it, yeah, it was predominantly yeah. Ray. Was, Ray's been great at marketing all of, all the new names. Um, Ray's done just an absolutely knocked it, awesome job at, at, you know, the hostage. The hostage was our fourth cigar. And, um, you know, that obviously after the story about the kidnapping and oh, he's come out with some just fantastic names for the cigars. That's that. Believe it or not, that's one of the hardest things to do, because half almost all the names are taken by the big companies. You can't do anything. We got two ceases. <laughs> so, I, I was doing pretty well with names. So until I got two ceases, the letters, they scared me. <laughs> we didn't have we don't have any legal team or anything. We'll get these, you know letters from lawyers you know cease and desist you know this because of this and that you know for two names that we had picked out that we had already went to market with and we had to go jump through a bunch of hoops to com be compliant to change those names yeah get them off the market take all the bands off and sell them without bands it was it was a mess but it was a great learning curve i think the lord really you know has blessed us all along with even like little mishaps you know i think he's protected us he's allowed us to make errors and to learn from them so we give all the glory to the Lord for where we are now, which is we're still small. We're just organic. We're having fun. But, um, but yeah, he's definitely saved us from uh, things that could have blown up to be bigger, bigger issues. If probably if we were a bigger company, I think. So I want to go back to the hostage because when Reed gave me one of those unlabeled sticks that they were testing out as a blend that ended up becoming being the hostage, actually got two of them i fell in love and that stick moved into my top five at the time it, it was it was something that was like wow this is just buttery smooth and just great flavor and nice bold and so talk about what is that blend and how did you guys come up with it and yeah ray can actually tell ray's got a list um he can tell you the exact consistency what like i said the the, the underground has really really pushed us to be you know top we had to up our game um, we smoked all kinds yeah. of stuff out of that shop and especially a lot of their better blends and so we really, really learned from what others were producing. And, um, 
you know, we realized, look, we need to come up with some things that have some unique flavors. We needed to get some tobacco from some different regions. We had predominantly used a lot of our stuff and stuff locally right there in Nicaragua, right across the border. But we kind of expanded out and uh, used some different tobaccos, used some differently harrows and experimented with a little bit bolder profile. And uh, that's that's how we went on the direction um, towards the hostage. Yeah, I think I think that has at least two Lajero, Nicaraguan Lajero and a San Andreas wrapper. So that was our second San Andreas wrapper. The Trinitas was the first one. So San Andreas wrappers have become a, a pretty big hit in the industry. Uh, a number of yeah. So, yeah, number of producers are using those. But yeah, I mean, we just kept playing around with recipes and challenging the factory to come up with something that worked for us and that we thought would work for others. And then we go through a, a pretty extensive uh, taste testing process here, not only between the partners, but we use a number of uh, refined pallets in the underground to help us with blends. Um, we normally say if it's if they don't if, if it's not box worthy in their in their opinion, we don't come to market with it, or we tweak it until we get a box worthy type rating from them. So we have other tasters locally that we that we use too. So it's not just what Jim and I like. It's really what we what we're trying to produce cigars that others like, not just what what we care for. I mean, there are some blends yeah. that I think Jim and I would, would would say that aren't necessarily favorites of ours that are in our portfolio, but other people love them. So oh, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, it's one of those things where my taste is not the same as K's and Kay's taste is not the same as Carl's, and Carl's taste is not the same as Steve Grison's. We all, we all have different tastes. And uh, so let me ask, I've got two questions before I'll open it up to any questions from the people that are on, on the call. My first question is, how have you guys and the industry been hit with the FDA regulations that came out at the end of the Obama administration? Uh, it's been the worst. <laughs> it kind of, it was like, we finally felt like we were headed in a really good direction. We got in at, you know, got in really well at the underground and we were starting to really, I think we sold out in two or three months at, at one of the shipments that we brought in and really, really enjoying uh, some early success. I think the Trinitas got a 94 rating uh, when we first brought it out and we were really just getting some really positive feedback that the hostage, uh, was named uh, top 25 boutique cigar of the year by um, Boston Jimmy and uh, really picking up some momentum and then bam, you know, the, all the FDA problems and all those F FDA issues. And it's really put a lot of the companies in kind of well, the smaller companies in, in kind of a, a holding pattern. We, we are producing, we're continuing to produce new cigars, but yet we're leery about producing too much because at any day it could come, you know, collapsing in and then we're stuck with a bunch of product that we can't get rid of. And so it's really, it's, mm. you know, Ray can kind of speak into that a little bit better than I can, but it really shifted our entire focus and has up until, and still does. Yeah. I think we always felt like we were going to stay small batch, you know, for us, small batches, I think the most of any one blend we've done, it's been 2000, a 2000 run. Now we're doing as little as with a band on it, let's say, um, a named cigar, as little as 300. And I don't, and really up to a thousand. That's about it on any, on any one factory for, for the reasons I just mentioned. 
in case it all comes crashing down and they 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 put everything into effect that um would affect our entire portfolio with the exception ironically of the two inaugural blends um, the way i understand it now you know it's everything from august august 2016 so august i think it's august 2016 everything would be grandfathered in mm -hmm. if things were to go the way it's written now so we would only end up with two blends that were on the shelf prior to august 2016 everything else would have to go if we wanted to tr keep them on the market it would end up having to go through you know the equivalent standard process which you know depending on what you read and who wrote it it could cost anywhere from twenty five thousand dollars a blend to you know a hundred thousand dollars a blend to go through all the scientific oh. testing so it would put us and, and, and for a small organization like you you just you, you don't have that no, we're, mm, no. we're done if that goes no. into effect we're we're done so back to Jim's point. So we're producing smaller batches, creating more blends, which has been kind of fun. Because then the demand, you know, this last batch for the March event, you know, Jim mentioned the underground quite a bit. You know, they have a, uh, a yearly event in March and they invite anywhere from 20 to 25 boutique suppliers. And we're one of them. This year we came out with six, six blends for that release. Or I'm sorry, for that event specifically, but we only yeah. made 300 of each and we sold out of all of them. And now we know out of those six, um, there's two home runs, maybe three home runs, depends on who you ask. Um, the, the really, they were all well received and, and our, actually our next import, we're going to bring all six back, but, but small, but we're gonna keep them small and we're gonna develop, we have three or four more new blends in process that will come in with this next import. So yes, we're addressing it, Steve, primarily by keeping the, uh, the batch run small and we would rather that be the case and demand be high and we can turn product around and I don't know probably as quickly as four months um, but optimally probably around six months um, so that the cigars have it you know have a chance to rest before they come to market for at least 30 to 60 days yeah so what's the future what do you guys want to see for Providencia cigars well it's what whatever the Lord wants really that's what takes all the pressure off of, I think, Jim and I both. He's working full time. It's not, this isn't a, um, as much as I'm sure Reed would like it to be, <laughs> this is not a uh, profit generating business in, in the sense of where we're drawing salaries and we're living off of the profits. You know, we're all, we all independently have other financial resources that we're living off of. So the business really is, it's just about, it's getting it to the point where, it's self-sufficient, right? There's enough profit to put into another cigar. Every cigar sold, you know, there's the, the money from that, you know, the wholesale price or whatever the price is, goes back into producing another cigar and it pays the bills and it can pay for the next import. Right now, we're my wife and I are still financing a portion of the imports, but each import we get closer and closer to the profits being able to pay for more of that import, right? So we're, so it's all working as it should and especially based on our volume. So, you know, we're having fun. And we, you know, we've always said, Jim and I both said that, you know, when we stop having fun, we're, it's, we're done. So as long as we're having fun, we're, we're gonna keep going. And as long as we're able to initiate enough profit for the company to run as much of it on its own as possible without an influx, that's what we'll keep doing. I mean, ideally, yeah, I know Jim would love to uh, switch gears and, you know, have cigars be his his 
main financial resource rather than teaching and coaching two soccer teams. He's the busiest man I know. You know, he's got the full-time teaching gig, and I don't know if you mentioned about his soccer teams, but, you know, he's coaching two select soccer teams on top of that after school. So he goes from 7 in the morning until 9 or 10 at night every night. He's traveling with his, mm. both of his select teams, and so it's weekends. It's, it's constant. So I know that um, I think I speak with him. Ideally, he, the cigar business would turn into a profit center to where he could actually draw an income from and, and live off of it, right? But we're, I think we're both very content with, you know, whatever the Lord wants this business to be, that's what we're most happy about because we're in a unique situation where we're not financially dependent upon the profits paying us to live off. So we're in a very unique situation that way. You know, there's probably only a, another handful of cigar companies out there that have that luxury, right? That maybe they're kind of doing it as a, you know, a, a hobby on steroids kind of a thing where, again, the profits aren't necessarily profits of that that owner has to live off of because they have other they have other funds but that's not how the industry works like any like most industries you know whatever you're producing a product that it's to pay the bills it's to put you know it's to have a, a you know a, a light bulb of. i mean i guess ideally that would be that would be the case for me it's not that's really not the issue i want to have fun i want to build relationships i want to i would love i want our cigars to be a part of fellowship um like you guys have embraced us the holy smokes groups and other groups to be able to use our cigars as a, as a mechanism or a, a conduit to have spiritual conversations with people. That's my goal. Yeah. And if we can keep it like this, you know, if everyone's content with us being able to, you know, whatever money comes in from the company to just have the company run and it's not a, a, a financial resource for us personally, um, <laughs> if everyone's cool with that and the over the overarching, you know, uh, goal is again for the cigars to be a conduit to, spiritual conversations i think we would all be very happy with that jim anything to add to that no i, I agree 100 with ray obviously it'd be nice to be able to slow down my lifestyle a bit and and to be able to do something i love and and you know be able to pay the bills as well but um you know unfortunately we're not able to be in that place right now especially with the fda hang uh, decisions hanging over our heads but uh, yeah we're, we're having fun i i kind of look at this the same way I did when I was in Honduras and used soccer as a platform. This right now for Ray and I is just, it's a huge platform. The people that we've been able to meet, the relationships that we've been able to get into with guys, the uh, shops that, you know, that we're not in a whole lot of, uh, we're, you know, we're not in shops all around the, uh, all around the U S but the shops that we're in, we're very close with the owners. We're very close with a lot of the patrons that, that, that go there all the time. We've befriended a lot of people and we're ha we're really having a lot of fun with it. So I think Ray and I have talked about possibly expanding out to some Christian groups and camps and retreats and possibly coming up with blends for, you know, proprietary blends for the groups. And so we're, we're batting a lot of different ideas around, but it all, circles back around to Ray and I uh, being comfortable with what we're doing and um, making sure that we're, we're still giving back to the Lord and, and using it as a tool and vehicle to share Christ with people. That's beautiful. So we got some questions here in the chat. I'll ask them. So you got El Santo, you got El Padre, you got Trinitas. When is the Jesus stick coming out? <laughs> it's not a bad idea. I like that, actually. 
And then Rod also asked, after the Jesus, I recommend the next one as Esteban for Steve Ryder. <laughs> That's bloody too. I like it. Yeah. The Esteban. I like that. I like I do too. Stick after me. I like that and, one. All right. And kudos to, to you, Steve, and to uh, Decay and to the Holy Smokes group, to Garrett for Man, Man, at Man Alive, the guy I deal with that Young Life, um, uh, Jonathan Schultz, and uh, who's at Ransom Heart. Uh, Aaron, no, what's his name? can't think of his name right now, but the guy I work with there. We're, already, we're working with those three groups right now and to expand on Jim's point. If we could actually put most of our focus on uh, working with um, leaders of you know the men's organizations that are in the Christian community and, and be a, yeah. a major supplier for them, I would love nothing more. <laughs> feel so much more reward in being a part of that than you know trying to open shops up around around the country. I'd much rather put the focus towards working with men that are wanting cigars to be a, a fellowship tool at their events. Bryce asked the question, what do we do if we want to get Providencia to our local shops? Mm, great. It's a good question. Yeah. And we've had help like that with others too. But thanks for asking that question. So basically what I would recommend is that you can contact me, you can private message me and say, Ray, you know, I frequent a brick and mortar in my town. I'd love to take a couple of your sticks in and, and introduce them as a smoker of your brand to the shop owner. And that carries a lot more weight than me doing it because, right, for me, I'm a brand owner. It's all, you know, I'm going to be, and at least in their eyes, you know, unbiased uh, or biased towards the brand, I should say, versus somebody else that's coming in who's a, a consumer bringing them a cigar that they may not be familiar with that they're buying outside of the shop because they don't carry them. So, yes, anyone that wants to do that, I'd be more than happy to send, a, a, I probably would send, Three cigars, probably the El Padre, the El Santo, and either a Hosk or a Bloodshot or a Trinitas. You know, that should be enough that they can get an idea of, uh, you know, what they're smoking. And then uh, the other thing is that just to um, introduce them to the website. The website, I think, is a good website. It's, it's pretty intuitive. Our story is there. All of our blends are there. All the wrapper binder filler, the description of all the cigars are there. So introducing people, check out their website, you know, whoever they're talking to. Hey, check out the Providencia website, get familiar with the brand. And then either the brand or the shop owner can reach out to us directly for samples or any of the guys, gals can take some in. We'd be happy to do that. And that website is ProvidenciaCigars.com. ProvidenciaCigars.com. Gentlemen, thank you so much Ooh. for being on the Holy Smokes podcast. Thanks for having us. I'm sorry it took me an hour to get plugged in. But it was probably better that way. I was going to say Satan's at work, man. He doesn't want me in on this thing. But I wanted, uh, I'm glad that you guys had an hour with Jim because his story is really the crux of, of, and it's much more interesting what he was doing in Honduras than what we're doing with cigars. But <laughs> I'm glad you guys had time with Jim. Jim, you were muted when you said your goodbye. No, I, I was just saying, yeah, I was. Thank you, Steve. Uh, thanks, guys, for taking the time out to talk with us and share Providencia's story. Um, we're always grateful and thankful for uh, anybody that wants to share our story and, and share our heart for cigars and relationship with people. And I look forward to meeting you in person, Steve. And uh, at, you know, well, I'm sure you'll have another place to stay. You can stay with me or Ray. We both have swimming, we both have swimming pools. So we got you covered there. So. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. 
Gents, I am looking forward to hanging out, giving you a big bro hug, and uh, having a more than a couple Absolute. sticks with you. Sounds good. Yeah, thanks, guys, for, for tuning in. I've, I've had to flip around on my phone to see who's been in there, but that's great to see you guys. Hey, Zach. Hey, everyone. Before we get to the Rapid Fire segment, I want to thank you for all the feedback that I've received about this show thus far. The encouraging notes, the suggestions, the thoughts all been valued and appreciated more than you know to let me know what you think you can private message me at facebook at facebook.com slash steve writer that's facebook.com slash steve r-e-i-t-e-r or a private message to the facebook page facebook.com slash holy smokes cigar club that's facebook.com slash holy smokes cigar club or send me an email at holy smokes cigar club at gmail.com thanks